Hello there, this is Jason Dees, and this is the Think Through It podcast. Think Through It exists to help people think through the big questions of life and culture. On the Think Through It podcast, we'll be talking with friends, cultural influencers, and forward thinkers about the things that all of us need to be thinking about. Today, we'll be talking with two of the best missiologists I know, and really two of the best guys I know. Zane Pratt serves as Vice President of Training with the International Mission Board and has served for many years as the Affinity Coordinator for Central Asia with the International Missions Board. Barrett Fisher is serving with the IMB in Southeast Asia and has been a part of some fascinating work in that corner of the world. And we're talking with them today about the state of global missions or the state of global evangelism. We'll be asking them whether or not Christianity is growing around the world and why should Christians be hopeful about the spread of the gospel. We'll also be looking at some of the great challenges to the spread of the gospel and the advance of the church. We'll also be asking how should Christians be praying about all these things. It's an important conversation. So thanks for joining Zane Pratt, Barrett Fisher, and me as we think through it. So do you guys ever see each other? You're in uh, Indonesia. You are in Richmond. Do y'all like meet up in Istanbul or like Taiwan or something? How does that work? Not Istanbul. We went to uh, Bangkok this last right. May. Had right. a big, we were both big there. meeting there. Yeah. So we're, I mean, we are at this stage of the game more likely to see each other outside the United States than in it. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're you're not in the United States that often. No. I mean, how like once every year and a half or so, once every. Uh, I'd say on average, probably once every two years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how often are you not in the United States, Zane? As often as possible. <laughs> <laughs> what does that equate to? Six or seven times a year? Or? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I just listed off to somebody the number of countries I was going to be in later this year, and it was six or seven. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And I know that if, well, maybe I shouldn't say this on this podcast. I know if you had your wish, your office could be in uh, an overseas place. But Absolutely, uh, yes. Right. But for our sake <laughs> and the sake of this, uh, this network of missionaries that uh, we support, that we're a part of, I'm really glad uh, that you're in the position that you're in. And uh, it's a huge position. It's a hard position. Um, but I'm really glad that you're there um, and doing the job that you're doing. Um, as we kind of move into our conversation about um, how Americans uh, like me can reach the world and really have a global impact, um, it, we're in an interesting age for that uh, mm-hmm. because obviously people are thinking globally now in a way that uh, we've never thought before. Mm-hmm. We're more aware, I guess, of global culture. At least the, the world is more aware of American culture yes. than, uh, than in any other time in world history that mm. people have been so aware. Maybe during Roman times, people were aware of Roman culture in a similar kind of way. But um, it just seems like right now people know who Americans are, and, and we could probably use that for a good thing. So let me just ask you all, is that a good thing or a bad thing? People being aware in other parts, remote parts of the world, uh, in many nations of the world, Ameri- aware of American culture. Is that a good thing or a bad thing for the gospel? It's a mixed bag. Uh, one, of the, one of the things that I've noticed as I've gone around the world is that most cultures outside the West don't separate 
uh, ethnic or national identity from religion. Mm. Yes. Uh, they're one and the same. That's a good point. So most people think outside the West that America is a Christian country. Mm-hmm. Therefore, what Americans do is what Christians do, and how they know what Americans do is from our movies and our TV shows. So they look at the, the entertainment that we spread around the world and think that represents, say, for example, Christian morality. So to, just to give one example, I, I had um, a Muslim mullah halfway around the world, when he found out that I had served as a Christian pastor, asked me in, with, with no hint of sarcasm at all. He said, well, if you're a pastor, are you allowed to have sex with anybody you want to just like other Christians can? Yeah. And really it was, are you like the rest of Americans? And Correct. You exactly would have translated right. that, are you like all Americans that I see on TV? But right. He was saying Christians. To him, Christian, Americans, same thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I would say there's a good reason why that is. Um, in many countries around the world, especially um, in the Islamic world, I mean, like, to be Iranian is to be Muslim. Right. To be Malay from Malaysia is to be Muslim. And so they, they very much... Um, that's the way it is there, so... That's the way it is there, and so they see America as, you're American, you're a Christian. Right. right. Yeah. So in terms of, as Americans, thinking about evangelism, thinking about global evangelism, thinking about this command of Christ to make disciples uh, all over the world, let's start at home, let's start kind of in our own heads... How should that change the way that we even think about ourselves? Well, one thing is we need to live lives that stand out as different mm. in, in such a way that people overseas can make a distinction between real Christians and nominal Christians. Uh, we, we need to be a city set on a hill. Um, and right now, unfortunately, the church behaves a little too much like the world. So you're, what I think you're kind of saying is if Edward's vision of America like being the new Jerusalem would have actually come true and people would have behaved as people would behave in the new Jerusalem, that probably would be a good thing for global evangelism. Right, yeah. But because, you know, we have embraced immor- immorality in the biggest of ways— it's actually hurting. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. that's fascinating. So our distinctiveness as Christians, uh, that's an interesting point. What you're saying is our distinctiveness as Christians here, just how we live God-honoring lives, is actually having a great commission impact globally. Right. Yes. Yeah, that's a very interesting thing to think about. You know, it's also occurred to me, uh, at least among a lot of Christian friends in, you know, churches like, for example, like I know the church that Barrett and I both grew up in, great churches, gospel-fearing churches, but churches that definitely had a certain, you know, I'll use the word like patriotism about them. Mm. I mean, that was your experience as a child. Mm. Uh, Is that good or bad for the gospel? Or how should we as Christians think about that? Yeah, I mean, I think we have to learn to uh, delineate between us as Americans and us as believers. Uh, I think oftentimes uh, in the church, in the evangelical church, we oftentimes tend to equate the two. Um, I, I guess just sharing from my experience of living overseas, I feel as though the longer that I've been overseas, I've, I've shed a little more of my American patriotism. Not that I don't love America and I love my family, I love to visit America, but 
I, I, I see myself kind of moving away and shedding some of that American patriotism because ultimately, as a follower of Jesus, I'm not, I, I, I'm not first and foremost an American patriot. I am a follower of Jesus and one who's in yes. the kingdom of God. Yeah, I think there is this like kind of post-World II American uh, understanding that Christianity, America, and a lot of this is Cold War language, the fight of good right. versus evil. And so we adopted this ethos of America is the savior of the world, mm. and oh, by the way, Jesus is with us too, mm. then, then, then I think maybe a pure Christianity. I mean, it, it, Zane, you're a little older than us. You lived yep. through more of the Cold War than we did. Yep. Uh, you know, <laughs> our... I definitely remember living during the time of the Cold War, but we were just very young at that time. I think I was, mm -hmm. you know, eight or nine when the Soviet Union really started crumbling. And so help us uh, help us understand kind of the effect maybe of the Cold War on the American Christianity mm -hmm. and how we need to maybe at this time start undoing that, or maybe we should have always been undoing that, but how we can right now undo that mm -hmm. for the sake of the kingdom of Christ. Yeah, I was in the U.S. Army when the Soviet Union collapsed. So certainly had a different perspective there. I think a lot of it, is, as I remember my own childhood, communism is officially atheist. And so they were the literally the godless communists. And the we, evil empire. The evil empire. And, you know, they were the opponents of the gospel. And so given the, the fact that that was actually true, it was easy for us to sort of conflate being American and being Christian, hmm. that um, I, America was the, uh, the bastion of Christianity, and it certainly was true and still is. I mean, the United States is the number one missionary-sending country in the world and has been for quite a long time. Um, so it was easy to sort of conflate those things. The, the difficulty there is when you start thinking that the interests of uh, a, a political country and the interests of the kingdom of God are, are synonymous because they're not. And when you start making your identity as an American and your identity as a child of God as synonymous because they're also not. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I am a, a loyal citizen of the United States. I am patriotic. I love my country. I'm a veteran and I'm proud of that. Uh, and and that, those are good things. And I will maintain those identities but they are way, way, way under my loyalty to the kingdom of God and my identity as a child of God. And part of what that means, and I think particularly for, for Barrett and me, this is very true, um, the body of Christ outside the United States is not an abstraction to us. It's very dear friends mm. to us. It's a part of us. It's a part of, yeah. And so these are people that I'm aware of the fact that I have brothers and sisters all over the world to whom I have rightly a higher and an eternal loyalty mm. than I have to the country that I was born in. Mm. And I think something that I've seen among even the best-hearted Christians is this kind of patronizing, oh, how sweet that there's like a Christian in another nation kind of tone. Um, you know, pat the head on the little Christian from the third world country, rather than really seeing them as, in many cases, more righteous than we are, more obedient to Christ than we are, more mature in Christ than we are, 
Um, I, I seem to sense that, and I'm sure some of that's even true of my own heart. So, I mean, I'm not trying to excuse myself of that kind of mentality, but I think that's incredibly damaging for what God is doing globally, especially seeing now that the center of Christianity is really not um, Nashville, Tennessee, or whatever as Correct. it once was. It's Africa. Right. Yeah. So I think you're, you're absolutely right. And one of the things that has struck me on a number of occasions is brothers and sisters I have known in the Muslim world, uh, followers of Jesus who are severely persecuted for their faith, I'm convinced they're going to be higher on the table in the, king, in the, in the banquet feast, the, the wedding feast of the Lamb, than I am. Hmm. Uh, some people that nobody's ever heard of who are some sure. of the true heroes yeah. of the faith. Hmm. I mean, it's relatively easy to be a Christian in Atlanta. Right. Um, it may not be as mm-hmm. easy as it was 20 years ago or as easy as it is in like Birmingham, Alabama today, right. but compared to Afghanistan or mm-hmm. compared to uh, Southeast Asia, it's still mm-hmm. a pretty easy life. It's not necessarily a sacrificial life. Mm-hmm. Here, yeah. Here's something else, uh, yeah. just an example from my own life I'd like to give. So we were in England and it was the Queen's birthday and we went to church and it was a Baptist church, which was having a God and country service. It was a British God and country service. And I felt so out of place. Hmm. And I felt like I wasn't with my family. Right. Because what was being celebrated was Britain. And that made me think, okay, how do non-American Christians, who are my brothers and sisters in Christ, with whom I will spend eternity, how do they feel in our churches when we do God and country celebrations here, we really are mm-hmm. making our national identity a higher value than our kingdom identity. That's mm-hmm. that's super helpful. Mm-hmm. That's super helpful. Well, let's kind of now shift to something that's related. Obviously, America is diversifying. Um, it uh, the WASP America of maybe your childhood right. is not the same uh, today. Um, I think some people, and certainly Christians, think that's a really good thing. And then some people, and certainly Christians, think that's not such a good thing. Um, is that a good thing? And how should we as Christians be thinking about the diversifying nature of the United States? Yeah, I, I think it's a unique opportunity um, in history because we have seen many of the nations that are right here in our backyard, literally, um, the the issue with that is that even though the nations are here and you have a city like Atlanta that's extremely diverse, I mean, you, you can probably find somebody from a hundred, over 100 countries, maybe 200 countries oh, that are right here, that. Yeah, yeah. right here in Atlanta. Um, the, the problem is, is that we can know that and yet we can never engage with someone from another country or possibly someone from... Uh, someone that's not from a, a Western nation. And so uh, I think part of it is, um, is educating ourselves. I, I, would, I would say, and I think Zane would concur, that um, Americans are probably the most poorly educated about the world oh, than any yes. other nation, uh, certainly any Western country. Um, and so to educate ourselves, but I think the best way to educate ourselves is act actually to engage with someone from another country and with people from other countries. And so, I mean, I'm talking like get down to a practical 
level here. You see someone in the grocery store, you know, the wife is wearing a head covering. You, you try to engage with the husband. You try to talk to them. You know, what country are you from? How long have you been here? Hear their story. Everyone has a story. So I, I would encourage people to try to get educated in those ways. Anything to add to that? One of the things that struck me is how widespread um, the internationalization of America is, not just in big cities like Atlanta. Uh, it's even in small towns. Um, I'm, for instance, I became aware at one point that there is a regional hospital in a small town in eastern Kentucky that has Muslim doctors and medical technici sure. technicians in it. And you would never have thought this small town in eastern Kentucky would have Muslims, but mm -hmm. they do. And our response has tended to be just to be with people like ourselves. Mm -hmm. But the reality is it's glorious that God has brought these people near us so we yeah. can share the gospel with them. You know, it's interesting. Here's a great story just to kind of what you're saying, Barrett. So uh, there is a couple friend of ours in Birmingham, uh, Mike and Sherry Green. The, like, most normal, like, white American suburban people. Okay, so these are not, like global people these are not like you know travel over just like good suburban baptists right and um but they met a couple from iran and just befriended them just started talking to them i mean when i say befriended i mean just went and showed interest into them and you know the relationship grew well this couple from iran they were obviously lonely Mike and Sherry was, they kind of felt like they were their parents. They kind of felt like, okay, this is a paternal guy and this is a maternal lady. So that the, the Iranian couple ends up showing great interest in them. They had them over for dinner several times. Ends up, and the, these are like, again, these are like not super international people. I can't stress, like, these are like normal su suburban Southern Baptist, like men's Bible study cracker barrel folks, you know. Mm. And they end up... Um, end up winning these people to faith in Christ. And uh, it was just a fascinating story. And obviously, there was a lot of I interesting things with that in terms of just their connection back home. And, and, and uh, um, But it's a really amazing story. But how just kind of what you're saying, like in America right now, really any person can have a global impact. Well, and I think um, to speak to that point, I think one thing that Americans have to overcome is that in many other parts of the world, and I, I come from an Islamic context in, in Indonesia, but many other parts of the world, um, people are, are extremely hospitable. I think Americans can be hospitable in our, in our own way. Uh, we try to fit it into our schedule, um, but for them, hospitality is just something you do. You know, somebody walks in off the street and knocks on your door, like you're gonna have them in, you're gonna have tea and coffee and cookies and things like that. And so when we see people from other nations that are right here in Atlanta, right here in our backyard, don't assume that they're American. And it's going to be awkward if you invite them over or engage with them. It's, going to be, it's actually going to be very normal for them and a very good thing to do. And they will feel so loved and so welcomed, uh, maybe for the first time by an American. And so I think, I think this is the, where the church can make an, a, a huge impact and, and understand that they come from cultures like that and that we can easily engage them. And that's just a little education, yeah. you know. Yeah. Understanding why and how we think the way we think and understanding why and how the rest of the world thinks. I always say Big Ben is the great tool and the great curse of the Western world. Like, 
the symbol <laughs> the symbol of British culture is a clock, right? Right. <laughs> and that's good because we are pretty efficient. We get a ton of stuff done in a timely manner. But it's also really bad because, as you say, like relationships, yeah. worship, uh, Bible study, it has to be very efficient, very quick, very yeah. much on time. And yeah. that's just not the way the rest of the world yeah. kind right. of operates. I, I would add that one of the issues I think that we have to deal with is fear. And people are often afraid of foreigners, mm. and they're especially afraid of foreigners from the Muslim world. And I would just urge anyone listening to put that, put that fear aside. Mm. Um, Thinking, for example, that all Muslims are terrorists is kind of like thinking all Americans are either cowboys or gangsters. Yeah. Uh, those are just stereotypes. Mm. And my own experience, same as Barrett's, living in Muslim contexts is that they are some of the warmest, friendliest people, some yeah. of the most hospitable people. Mm. And the, other, the thing I've, I've said to a number of people is if, if you are afraid of them because of their religion, the best way to deal with that is to share Jesus with them. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Change the religion. <laughs> you know, yeah. If they come to Jesus, you won't be afraid of them anymore. You know, the, uh, and it, just to that point, and I don't mean any sort of, you know, I don't mean this any sort of callous way, but to your point, like, I don't want to be associated with, like, white nationalists that right. go and shoot mosques up, you right. know, like was just happened in New Zealand. So Horrible thing. Right. And so that is the a paradigm to think through when thinking of most of the Muslim world. Mm-hmm. It, it We should not associate that with 9-11 or, or right. whatever comes to our mind. Right. Hmm. Um, let's talk about how to begin engaging outside the U.S., though. There's obviously a lot of opportunities to engage here at home, but uh, both of you guys either are serving or have served for a big part of your life overseas. How would you want a guy like me, just a you know happy little American man, to begin engaging or to have had engaged with the people that you were trying to serve, that you're trying to reach? What are practical ways that, uh, that a guy like me living in the U.S. can have a, a global engagement? Yeah, so I, I think one thing is that you have to, you have to bring it down from the whole world to possibly a particular people or a person even. Uh, so try to, eng- try to put some hands and feet on, on someone in, in a foreign country, you know, a missionary, for example. I mean, try to engage personally with, with a missionary. Try to, um, maybe you have some natural connections. Maybe you're in your ancestry, you know, there's, um, uh, you have some kind of country in your in your background, or you you've had a friend in college that was from this country or something. Try to have a personal connection to where you get down to a country. Maybe you get down to a people group. You can you can adopt that people group, you know, even personally or as a church, and begin to pray for them, go visit them, um, but also connecting with some boots on the ground, uh, like a missionary who's there trying to carry out. Uh, some kind of ministry um, or a church planning strategy there. Uh, I, th- I think that's key to actually, you know, go- going from this, okay, we've got this whole world out there to kind of going down to, I-, I can, you know, I can begin to pray for this person. I know this person. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that actually is one of the great benefits, I think, of like short-term missions trips is you can actually meet people in other contexts where yeah. the where the church is alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, Barrett and I, when I was in seminary, I pastored this little church in Indiana, New Washington Christian Church, and we took the church's first ever mission trip. We went to a children's home in Guatemala, 
we took, I took 12 people. My dad went, I went, and then 12 people from the church went. So it was 14 of us total, but 12 people from the church, nine of whom had never been on an airplane, okay? Mm. So first time they'd ever not only got outside the country, but gone in the sky somewhere, right? And so this is a small farming community in Indiana. And, you know, still to this day, I still get their email updates, their prayer email updates. Mm. And Agua Viva Children's Home is still on their long-term prayer list. And so, and that was 2006, so that was 13 years ago. They have not gone on another mission trip, right? And, Mm. you know, but they are engaging with people that don't look like them. And, you know, most of the kids that were five years old that they were ministering to them are now 18 and moving into college. And, mm-hmm. and, and I hope that those are not co- maybe not college, but maybe college or trades. And I'm hoping that those prayers, uh, you know, are being answered and that the gospel is advancing through those kids. And so that's, that's a very, very simple illustration of how people that aren't super global mm-hmm. can get connected with, with global people. Anything to add to that in terms of just engaging with what God's doing around the world from home? Well, I, I tell people to start with three basic things, the word, the world, and prayer. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I've noticed is that knowledge of the Great Commission is far less now than it has ever been before. And a recent Gallup poll totally really um, uh, underscored that. And so get people to start looking in the word and beginning to understand that the nations have been part of God's plan literally from Genesis and will be literally to the, to the end of Revelation. Uh, understand that it's always been God's intent to have a people praising him, to have a people who are reconciled to him through Jesus from all the nations. Uh, and then getting to know the world, uh, because as, as Barrett mentioned before, Americans tend to be fairly isolationist. Mm. Um, our news sources stress local and national news almost to the exclusion of international news. Um, I actually, my, my chief news source is BBC World News Service because they do a far better job of covering the world than any of the American uh, providers. So when you begin to see God's heart in his word, the condition of the world, and, and that's not just politics and, and war and economics and things like that, but especially getting to know the fact, like we were mentioning earlier today, that there's at least 2.9 billion people in the world who live among peoples with no access to the gospel. Mm-hmm. Then let that drive you to prayer. Um, and not just one time prayer, not just a God bless the missionaries kind of mm-hmm. prayer, but huh, there's a war going on in Syria and there are refugees and there are Christian workers working with those refugees. You know, Father, I pray that you would empower the witness of those missionaries to those refugees and that, that you would draw some to faith in Jesus, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, my observation through the, the now quite a few decades of my life is that when God's got somebody on their knees, he's got them right where he wants them. Yeah, and uh, they tend to be pretty mobilizable from that point. Now, I would also add, in our day, there's so many options of going on a short-term trip. I mean, even, you know, the IMB has incredible programs, especially for young folks, Nehemiah teams, uh, hands-on program, Fusion. I mean, there's these different programs where it's very easy for young folks to go overseas. They connect with a missionary. They have an incredible time. We have them come out to Indonesia. Um, but even at, even at the church, I mean, I, I saw your bulletin today at church, and you guys have a, a number of trips. And so I guess the question is, like, is, is it for lack of options of going overseas, going on a short-term trip, or... Or what is it? If it's not for lack of options, what is it? So 
I think it may be a heart issue. And um, so, I mean, I would just encourage, encourage the folks, uh, number one, on, on what Zane just said, on the Word, getting in the Word. Um, God doesn't want us to fall in love with His mission. He wants us to fall in love with Him. He wants us to follow Jesus. And I think as we do that, our hearts will be inclined to say, this is a good thing for me to take my spring break, not to go to the beach because I feel like I need time off of work or whatever, but to go have a meaningful time going on a short-term trip. And I, I think once our heart is in that, I, I think it's just easy. And I can, I can guarantee that when you do that, um, the Lord will do amazing things in your life and you will say, there, there is nothing, no other way that I would have rather spent my time than to go on that trip. You know, it's amazing to me how many people have gone on short-term trips, they're impacted, and they keep going back to yeah. the same place over and over and over That's again, right. which is awesome, you know, and I, I certainly encourage that. I also encourage, you know, seeing what God's doing in a lot of different contexts, but but I do think we need people that keep going back to the same place because I think that's how you can actually have an impact yeah. there. Mm-hmm. Our missions pastor at uh, Valleydale uh, had gone has gone to Moldova every year for like 25 years. Wow. And so when you go to Moldova with him, he's like friends with a lot of the people over there. I mean, think about it. If you vacationed with the same uh, group of people every summer for one week in the summer, let's say, every year for 25 years, you'd be pretty good friends with them. And so I do think that's like a really good way to get um, in, engaged in a meaningful way, in a practical way, uh, even if you're not called to move overseas, but with real people overseas that's beyond prayer and that maybe is beyond giving. Obviously, the one that you guys haven't mentioned, um, but is a super way to engage is through generosity, right? It takes money to send mm-hmm. the Pratt family and the Fisher family you know, Barrett's got like 25 children now. And so those those kids got to eat. And We're so, working on it. And so uh, he, he literally has number six on the way, just so you know. But um, So it takes money to send people overseas. It takes money to do projects overseas. It takes money to translate scripture in a different language. And so that is a super essential and practical way um, to, help to, to help to engage uh, with what God's doing all, all over the world. How about this last kind of question I have for y'all is um, leaving the United States. Hmm. Um, I think we have this mentality. I, to be honest with you, I I probably have this mentality at least a little bit of uh, like America. It's so great. It's where it's at. If I left, maybe I would leave because I do love Jesus and I want to obey him, but it would be like the worst to have to leave the United States. Has that been y'all's experience? Uh, Do y'all feel like you've lost something great by leaving America and uh, living somewhere else? In a word, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, family's here. We love it here. Um, but there's a lot of other places we love as well. Hmm. And I would not trade my life in, in, in God's service globally for anything in the world. Hmm. Not at all. And I can also say my children were born and grew up overseas. And uh, they are American citizens with an American accent who are only sort of Americans. Mm-hmm. Um, and they wouldn't trade their upbringing for anything in the world. They don't feel like they missed out on anything from having grown up the way that they did. Yeah. Um, I can honestly say that there is um, a joy that comes from doing this work 
that nothing else, at least for me and my family, could ever have provided. And I can also say that we have people we deeply, dearly love and places we deeply, dearly love all over the world as a result of it. Mm-hmm. So I don't feel like, I mean, Catherine and I would sometimes say, we, we get kind of antsy when people would talk about the sacrifice of, of, of missions. And we say, it doesn't feel like a sacrifice to us. <laughs> Barrett? What, uh, yeah, I mean, no, I think that's absolutely true. There, you do gain so much more than you lose. Uh, what we lose is we, we lose getting to see family all the time. Yeah. I, I mean, that's the number one thing that I would point to. I, I, I lost my love for March Madness. And you've Madness. got a huge family. Yeah, I've got a huge family, and so we love seeing that. So I lost my love for March Madness, but honestly, I don't see that as a huge loss. <laughs> it's, it's not really a big loss. Uh, lost my love for college football. It's not a huge loss. But uh, losing, you know, time with family. You were an Arkansas fan, though. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we won't go there. Yeah. <laughs> we won't go there. Uh, so anyways, but... Uh, but going overseas, I mean, uh, you know, it's it's not a sacrifice in a way. In, in another way, I would say probably those first few years, it feels so much like a sacrifice. So I don't want to paint this rosy picture that like when you move overseas, it's it's easy and it's joyful and it's this wonderful experience. It takes a lot. Um, You're kind of having to purge uh, a lot of America out of you. Right? Well, and that's what I was going to say, like. You, you then, when you move overseas, you realize just how Western and I would say how particularly American you are. And that's what makes living overseas difficult at times. Because there's times, I mean, when we first moved to Indonesia, where it, it feels like every way that Indonesians do things is exactly the opposite of how Americans do things. And, and I mean, our way is right, I mean, right? Like, that's how we grew up, you know? It's just- We're the best. We're the best. and and. Uh, and you're doing things wrong, and so we need to do things different, and it's inefficient, and all these different things. So there, there is a coming out of that, but um, I think I think once you're there long enough, you do begin to really appreciate. And I would even say raising our kids overseas. Um, I, I think our kids are just so much more culturally aware. Uh, mm-hmm. They get exposure to different religions and get in. Uh, they're comfortable in contexts where many, you know, Americans. Uh, American adults and American kids would be very uncomfortable, and they're comfortable in those situations. So I, I wouldn't trade those things for the world. You know, something that I, I often think about um, that I kind of wish I would have done is gone overseas for a couple years right out of college. Mm. Uh, I just, you know, my parents didn't want me to do that. Um, I'm not saying that I didn't know that that was a possibility in my life, but it just didn't feel like much of a possibility. Mm. It just didn't, Mm. I just was not in a culture where that was, you know, really happening. I was going to seminary and I felt like, well, I'm going to go do this. But, you know, I I think if I had to do it over again, I I probably would have moved to, you know, somewhere and just lived overseas in a context, work with a, you know, what work with a team. I don't, feel the call necessarily to global missions, but I think that exposure in my life would have been so valuable, so profitable. Mm. Um, and so I, I would really encourage me, I guess I want to create an environment where our graduating college seniors or high school seniors or whatever feel like that is celebrated. That is a good thing. Um, and that, that can certainly serve as a pathway. And so just thinking through pathways, I mean, it's yes, 
I'm going to read my Bible. I want to believe in the Great Commission. I want to begin praying. But it still feels a little impractical to do that and then move to Central Asia. And so what are some pathways that you guys would recommend for someone that is hearing all of this, they're concerned about this, they feel like maybe I want to be a part of that. What are some pathways that maybe y'all would recommend? Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things we always do when someone comes to talk to us about desiring to sort of put feet on uh, this, this vision for missions is as much as possible to do it in the context of their local church. Mm-hmm. So we encourage people to talk to the leadership of their church to make sure that you know they're being properly discipled and and that they're properly vetted and affirmed and everything but then a good place to start is with a short-term trip with their church Hmm. and if not with their church then a short-term team with a trip with an agency like like ours Hmm. Uh, almost all of the people we now have coming through our process for career mission service began the journey with a short-term trip Hmm. Uh, so there's there's that as a pathway then for instance um, within the IMB, we have this, this wonderful, um, wonderful program whereby you can actually go for a semester abroad, and we will connect you with a team. And like, we're not allowed to use you as a babysitter. We're not allowed to use you for admin help. Mm-hmm. We have you on the front lines of being involved with, um, with a ministry. We call it the hands-on program. Mm-hmm. Um, then we have a two-year program which uh, is especially designed for young adults. And there again, it's, it, and that is a fully funded uh, pathway that has you once again engaged in a front lines ministry for a period of two years. And we find a number of people have utilized those. What's the percentage of people that do that two-year program that, that become career? It's pretty high. Yeah, I bet it it's is. Very, I don't know a number, but it's very high. More than 50? That that would be a reasonable guess, I think. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, it's sort of we, we sometimes joke. It's you know like the Hotel California. You can check yeah. any time you want, but you can but never you can't leave. Never leave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like you are in the family. You will stay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but people get a heart for it and, and want to yeah. come back. Yeah. So th- well, they th- probably see maybe I can actually be more useful here than I could be yeah. back home. Yeah. Hmm. Another thing though, that we also talk to people about is just recognizing that it's more than preacher boy types that are needed, that any profession you can leverage for the sake of the gospel. Well, and that's an interesting thing to think about, too, because I do think there's a lot of people that are very skilled engineers or very skilled doctors or very skilled, you know, uh, business professionals. And, you know, they think, you know, well, I need to use those skills. God's given me these gifts. I need to use them. Um but you know, I think we can easily become short-sighted that business is actually done all over the world, and engineering mm-hmm. is done all over the world. In fact, right. there was a guy on our church, and I probably shouldn't give too many details here, but he really wanted to get into a restricted country in the Middle East. And so, but he's a big-time engineer, and he was able to, he's on a pathway now to get in through that, and... Uh, um, just really amazing uh, to think about um, how strategic that is, uh, that God is maybe granting him access to a country that you or I couldn't get into uh, because of those particular gifts that he has. 
Yeah, yeah, we yeah. see that we see that happening in in uh, major cities all over the world, uh, and and the IMB has kind of changed to allow for that to happen within the IMB itself. So there's actually a pathway that you can that that businessmen businesswomen can take to actually go overseas and to work in your profession in a major city around the world. So we have that right now. You join an IMB team and, and you, you help that team carry out their strategy there. Well, let's close with this, a word of encouragement or a challenge, a challenge or an encouragement. Zane, I'll start with you and then Baird, I'll give you the last word. My word of encouragement would be that even though the the obstacles to gospel advance seem huge right now. We have actually seen the gospel go forward more than at any point in history. That it is right now penetrating places it's never been before. And we are seeing people come to faith among folks that we would never have imagined before. And our experience is that although some types of people are regarded as resistant to the gospel, and that every place we've ever gone and learned the language and planted our lives and shared the gospel without exception we have seen people come to know christ that's great so with what zane just said in mind my challenge would be for those listening to go uh what's stopping you i I would say i would say maybe even right now you just you, you just you just say lord i'm willing to go where do you want me to go uh, so just come to that point. Don't start thinking about, you know, vacation time and, and, and the finances to go. And I don't know if I have enough money and all these. Just, just stop and say, Lord, if you want me to go, I'll go and show me where. That's my challenge. And if God's doing that in your life, I'd, and you can get in touch with me. You can look at our webpage if you're listening from outside of Christ's covenant. And I'd love to help you figure out those pathways. This has been a, such a helpful conversation. Thank you guys so much. Yeah. For Zane Pratt and Barrett Fisher, Thank I'm you. Jason Dees, encouraging you to think through it. <laughs>